I didn't really prep much. I, and yeah. I listened to the last pod, so you don't need to like read. You can just read the list when mm-hmm. you get into the second half here, and then I'll just jump in because I, I I'm pretty sure I finished the last one last week. Okay. Well, before we get to that, we have a couple of things to talk about. Of course, um, first and foremost, I just hopped off of the Blue Shirts Breakaway podcast, mm. uh, hanging out with those dudes. We're how are those studs doing? They're good. They just asked me how to tank, basically. Um, they, they want to know that that's a really foreign feeling for those guys. Yeah. They haven't felt that way in, in years. Yeah. They kind of just needed to know how to deal with it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, we're going to, we're going to all have to be there for each other and, uh, we'll just, we'll just see how it goes, but they're doing good. They're, uh, they're hanging on. We just talked to Jimmy D and, uh, moved on, but nice. so watch out for me. I'll be on that podcast tomorrow. I'm excited uh, to listen. Come out. To all of our listeners, go check them out too because they just do a great job all year round, just like we do. Um, second piece of news, and I, I feel good about officially announcing this right here. Uh, our very own boy Matt Spendley here, uh, golden boy of the Knicks wall, not the actual Knicks, but the Knicks wall. Maybe <laughs> one day the Knicks. Um, Hopefully not. He is going to be taking over uh, the Tuesday Knicks wall podcast feed day. That's a really weird sense construct. So I did a bad job of it and I'm sorry, <laughs> but basically Matt's getting his own podcast. It's going to be on this very same channel. It's going to premiere on Tuesdays. Kyle and I will still be rocking on Fridays for you all. Um, but yeah, I'm excited, Matt. Do you want to kind of talk about what your pod's going to be looking like? Yeah, I'm excited too. So the general idea we're going to go for here is that I'm going to have a guest on, you know, whether it be one of our writers or someone on the outside, and just basically boil everything down to one topic. So, for example, next week when we kick it off, I'm hoping to have you know, some guests to talk about the college prospects. Because with March Madness starting this week, that's going to be the big story. You know, the Knicks are we're just hoping to lose at this point. So there's not a ton to talk about in terms of, you know, um, having conversations with people. So yeah, we're still around for that, too. Don't you worry. Yes. So basically what I would define it as is it's going to ask a question and we're going to spend that podcast answering it. So we can ask a question like, you know, what do we think of Mikhail Bridges? And I'll talk to someone, whether it be a college person, someone that covers Villanova, something like that. And we can talk about it. I'm also going to venture out into plenty of Nick centric territory too, because we have so much time in front of us here and, you know, there's a lot of options. So, you know, it could become something where we talk to someone that comes from a different generation and we talk about, you know, what's different about the Knicks in 2018 than it was in, you know, 1978, those kind of things where we can compare ours and just talk to a variety of different people from different perspectives. So I'm excited for it. It's going to be fun. It's going to, I got a lot of potential guests lined up that I think could provide some great conversation on a variety of different topics, both Nick centric and, you know, perhaps we might venture away from that as the summer rolls on and we're, you know, having, um, different types of discussions around this team and whatever's going on. But yeah. at the end of the day, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm given the opportunity and I'm excited to get it going. 
Yeah, man, I'm, I'm stoked to hear what you're going to bring to it. It's just nice that it's going to be different from what we're doing, too. You know, we'll mm -hmm. still be here. We'll be bringing you the news. We'll be bringing you the, uh, you know, a little, a little bit more of the day-to-day -day stuff. And Matt's just going to be there to go a little bit deeper. So uh, I think Matt is the man for the job for that. I really couldn't be more stoked about how this is going. And, uh, and yeah, look forward to that. It should be starting next week. Absolutely. Um, while we have you on the TKW podcast, oh yeah, it's still unnamed by the way. So we'll, we'll figure that out. Don't you worry. <laughs> uh, but it'll be on this feed. So you're, you're already going to be subscribed to it. Um, anyway, so while you're on TKW podcast, let's talk a little news first. The, uh, sure. big thing to come out of the day today is Troy Williams. Uh, really, really good move. I love this move by the Knicks, but basically signing Troy Williams to the, uh, same contract that Trey Burke is getting. And, you know, getting him through the rest of this year and then giving him a non-guaranteed salary through next year. Um, I just love, love, love seeing the Knicks stock up on low risk, you know, potentially decent reward contracts. And, you know, if that's what we're getting right now, that that's not a bad place to start this whole process at the end of, you know, the tail end of this lost year. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen some good things from Williams. Hornacek mentioned in the press conference, uh, this morning or yesterday at practice and talked about how they like his defensive intensity. They like his spot up shooting, which, okay, sure. They like his energy around the rim. And we've seen him have, you know, three or four pretty remarkable dunks. We know he's athletic. Um, I thought it was pretty funny because during their last game, I tweeted that it seems like a no brainer to bring Troy Williams back. And I had a Grizzlies fan, uh, quote tweet it and cause he had played for the Grizzlies last year and goes seeing this on my TL made me really sad. And I basically just responded back and I was like, that's the state we're at right now, man. We're getting excited over the Knicks bringing back Troy Williams. Which, yeah. Again, it's a, it's the right move to do, but, but I kind of like hearing that from that fan because it's like, you know, every fan of every team is kind of a Homer a little bit, you know, yeah. like we, we do that with all of our players. Look at, you know, freaking Billy Hernan Gomez. How many Knicks yep. fans have said Billy Hernan Gomez's name in the last couple of weeks? Like, who's even thinking about that trade anymore? Oh, and it, I, I said here, it to my dad. I was sitting there and I said, you know, that, that Hernan Gomez trade looks pretty good right now. That He hasn't played at all for Charlotte. And the Knicks got, you know, a second round, two second round picks out of that. It, it's going to, I think it's going to look good in hindsight. But, you know, yeah. we digress here. No, it, it's just like, you know, I, I, I would be... If that fan is saying that he either is you know, upset about not having Troy Williams on the Grizzlies anymore, or if he's just sad about hearing the news, whatever one it is, like, I'm just happy to have a guy that other players from other fan bases have liked previously. Yeah, see, I think it was more him saying that it was sad that we were getting excited over it. Yeah. Let me hope. <laughs> I need to hope a little bit, man. This Listen, is what dude, this is all about. I, I hear you. And he's, like we said, he's done some good things. I just wish he was a better three point shooter. Cause then I could have some more hope because if all he can really do is, you know, cut and dunk, it makes it difficult to play him in certain lineups, especially on this Knicks team that is so devoid of any three point shooting as it is. So if that's something that he goes into the off season and works at and can even become, you know, he's been like a 31, 32, he's at 33 right now for the year, but he's only taken 15. So if he could become more reliable from three, then he becomes a much more, reasonable option for me coming off the bench because yeah. if he does that, he's like a better Lance Thomas. Yeah. That's what I was know? thinking today too. Like, I, Cause like they have similar builds, you know, Williams is more athletic. He can probably not as good of a defender, but obviously a much better finisher around the rim. So you're giving up some in one area and, you know, getting some back in the other, but they would essentially, they essentially play the same position and would serve the same role on the team. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, if that's, you know, that's definitely one way to get younger right there. It's like replace yeah. a guy who's been working well for you for a couple of years with basically a younger, less developed version of himself. Yeah. I'm all and about Thomas that. is still under contract next year, but then yeah. the year after that, it's non-guaranteed. Yeah. And, and we should know too that Troy Williams deal next year is also partially guaranteed. So if something happens where, you know, they aren't encouraged by his last 15 games here as a Nick, I'm pretty sure they can just cut him and pay him, you know, a portion of that guarantee they would give him next year. I what think would that that's be like a hundred, hundred grand, something like that. Something like that. It, it, yeah. It's like basically paying like a G league player. Yeah, yeah. Essentially. That's, that's the way that I took it. Yes. And it, it doesn't like, I, I think they would do that regardless if they just like, you know, want need to clear a roster spot or they want to move up from him or whatever. Like, I don't think he's the guy you go to necessarily in that scenario, but if they wanted to, I don't think there's anything stopping them. It's not like they really care about what they're paying him next year. Right. Uh, that money doesn't really matter. And it's um, not like the Knicks are going to be much of a free agent destination. And I don't think they're going to really want to be much of a free agent destination. So signing guys like this, do you keep around for a year, see what they can do. And then, you know, maintain some sort of continuity year over year. Cause that's been a problem with the Knicks that for the last, you know, three or four years, the roster turnover has been, just otherworldly. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, oh, I do have to say that last, uh, non guaranteed year on the last Thomas contract was a sneaky good move. Yeah. I mean, after a pretty terrible contract, which yeah. in hindsight, you know, looks, it doesn't look great. It doesn't look great, but it, it doesn't look like, yeah, it's money that could have been used, but it, it's only what, like 7 million? 7 million. I, the 7 million looked much better during that summer. Cause I remember saying that's a pretty good deal for Lance Thomas. But now right. after the cap has kind of smoothed out and we've that, seen, I think guys, that's what's kind of cool about him be having that non guaranteed year, you know, it's like, because that's kind of your, your safety assurance against the cap smoothing out after a while. Yeah. Just wish that non guaranteed year was next year instead of, of year course. after. Right. But again, again, ideal. next year is also, I mean, you obviously you get more guys for the future that way too, but yeah, I'm not, I'd rather have that cat space the year after anyway. Yes, I agree. And we've mentioned that next year essentially doesn't matter for mm -hmm. money, which is why I've always said the Knicks should just ride out this Joe Kim Noah situation and just yeah. pay him and don't stretch him out. Don't have to put any more money on your books further on than you have to, because it just doesn't make any sense to do that when you're not going to want to spend money on free agents next year. Anyways, it's the cap's going to be the cap. So they should just ride this out. Pay their guys a, what they're due, and then it, move it's on. It's a circumstantial thing to me. You know, it's like if you, I'm, we're not gonna. This is the NBA. Like, some deals are made just months in advance. If they have something like that, and they know a guy is gonna come to New York potentially, and you know, you need that cap space right away, and you want to just put that. You know, I'm a fan of the last year wave for Noah. If they yeah. have something lined up, if not, sure. then I have no problems running with that contract. I got to say, I'll be a little upset if Kyle Quinn leaves after this year. Yeah. Because uh, I, I I don't know if he'll opt out. He's, you know, making $4 million. I don't know if that type of money is going to be there for him on any sort of longer-term deal. I highly doubt it. Yeah, I but don't, I don't I, know. I, I love that guy, that. man. I, he's one of my favorites to watch. Like, just his passing, He he's just a great team guy. You know, I think he isn't quite the defender we'd all hope he could be, but He's also, you know, a pretty decent shot blocker. I just love watching him ever since I, I, I was watching some tournament stuff. And that moment at Norfolk State when they beat Missouri is so great because he runs to the camera and he's hugging the ball. And he was the best player on that team by a mile. I think he had 
like 26 and 15 in that first round game. He was just an animal and I've loved him ever since. Yeah. I too also love Kyle O'Quinn. Uh, just pretty much everything about him now at this point. And yeah, we talk about this all the time now, but it's super funny how that's 180. Oh my God. Like a Dude, year or so. Kyle hated I Kyle O'Quinn. It was a running joke. We had, you know, a, se- we had be- a segment. <laughs> what was the segment called? Kyle, 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 Kyle? and Kyle. Kyle oh my and God. Kyle. Yep. That is fantastic. I wanted, this is like before we actually put any production into the show or anything, but like I would yeah. have had uh, music in there and everything. I would have had segues. Um, no, it, <laughs> it, it just goes to show. But anyway, my uh, my question is, at this at this point, do you take, because I think they're about the same age, do you take O'Quinn or do you take Cantor long term? If you could have one of those two guys on the team for a couple of years now, which one would you want to keep? Am I keeping them based on their contract numbers or am I just deciding which one? I, I think you got to do. I mean, let's just be realistic. Let's say they both opt out this summer and you can only sign one of them back. I mean, if you're going to put money into it, it's O'Quinn, no question, because O'Quinn's not going to demand the money that Cantor does. And I yeah. think O'Quinn in a lot of lineups is a better fit than Cantor because I've said it in the past couple times I've been on. Cantor's the type of guy you keep around that's going to put up numbers and he works hard. And he's a likable person, but at the end of the day, if he's your center, you're not winning more than 42, 45 games. It's just not happening. And with the minutes, the Knicks have pushed down his throat. You know, you could see here when he's playing right now with this terrible team, they're giving him plenty of opportunities, putting up double doubles every game, but it doesn't matter because he gives a lot back on defense and he, without Porzingis, he has no idea, no concept of rim protection. It's not mm-hmm. even in his DNA to think to go towards the rim. You watch and he'll end up in a pick and roll and someone will pass it off to a weak side guy and he doesn't even attempt to jump. You know, it's just not something that he's ever had to do or committed to do or be good at. Just any of the above is is the biggest thing that he struggles with and it's so blatantly obvious when he's without KP and that's not helped by the pretty lackadaisical defense from their perimeter guys recently, right. but still, you know, yeah, the end, yeah, he, he just, he doesn't go up to block anything. Yeah. The effort is, is different in a lot of ways. And I think the, the skill sets are, you know, very different now when you look at who's playing with who and who's out on the court for more minutes now and who is actually a capable defender out there um, yeah. and who we thought might be a capable defender and doesn't end up being. So, I mean, it's all over the place. I, I, so I don't know. I guess now the other side of the coin is if you take money out of the equation, would you rather have Cantor on the team long term? No, I think no, I'd rather. So rather girl Quinn. I think I, I think that's fair. You could, I think basketball is funny because we spend a lot of time watching and we spend a lot of time diving into the numbers, but sometimes you just got to watch the game. And O'Quinn is a more useful player on the court. He works better with lineups. He's a more willing passer. Cantor is certainly a better rebounder and a better post player. But if you put capable guys around these two. I think the lineup with O'Quinn performs better. I, I just think that's the way it is. That's the type of player these guys are. Yeah, I can see that. Um, all right. Well, any, uh, we had two games go on over the, uh, over the weekend. Anything uh, you particularly want to touch on from Toronto or uh, the Milwaukee game or is it, are they just washes to you? I missed Sunday's game because I was driving back from Boston. Mm-hmm. I think it's the only game I've missed all year. Your, uh, and, your your boy got the start. Oh, Luke Cordette. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I was keeping tabs on my ride. Don't worry. <laughs> I was keeping tabs. Uh, yeah. So eighteen points for him, which was pretty cool. He's a he's just like he's gonna score. Like if you put him in the right spots, he can shoot. 
and he can score, but uh, it's so funny. He had like the first, uh, I think the first like six shots of that game were all him. Like he, yeah. like four minutes oh, into the fantastic. game, four minutes into the game, he's like two for eight with two fouls and then to sit down. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to watch the whole game tomorrow. I didn't get a chance to watch it today, but I'm excited just for that alone. Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> uh, should also say on the, uh, on the breakaway pod, I did shout you out a gratuitous amount of times. Uh, and we did talk um, a good amount of Luke Cornett and what's his sister's name? Nicole Cornett. Nicole. Yeah. I, I we, uh, we were on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Looking at her in-game interactions and everything like that too. So Dude, his family loves it. Like she's always faving stuff. His mom's always like faving and retweeting stuff. They're very active. Very I only ever family. see it from you. Cause I only ever see you favoriting her tweets. Yeah, well, you know, just trying to engage the fans. What can I say? I'm a nice guy, all right? Engaging the fans. Matt Spendley engages with the fans, ladies and gentlemen. I'm nothing if not friendly. All right. Uh, so the Milwaukee game yeah, uh, was just basically just Giannis killing them because the Knicks were hanging around a while, and then it's always, you know, the end of the games, they just fall apart. They run out of gas. They don't have enough talent, and it it's uh, it's tough to see. And, you know, you see, like, Troy Williams had a nice game. And O'Quinn had a really good game. He's the one that stuck out. And that that was, I think during that game, I was I was home with my dad and my family watching, which of course is always hilarious because my mom laughs at me the entire time through a game and is like, why do you why do you think this is fun? Yeah. No, um, I, I I know that feeling. <laughs> but you know, there there's there's some good things and some bad things. It's it's always hard when the team is this bad because what are we supposed to take away? And I think that we've talked about our pecking order. And it's Frank showing some progression. It's seeing if Trey Burke and Moutier have anything to offer. Right. Which Moutier has been pretty frustrating lately. And I, I yes. think I think it's pretty obvious that this is just the player he is. I think he's been given enough of a leash. And I think we're going to see plenty of him next year, too. But I don't see him making any sort of grand leap. I just don't think that's coming. It it would have to be something monumental that he does over the offseason season to make that change because there's just so many times he just gets so out of control and he just, he's just a turnover machine. Yeah. I'll, gi- I'll give him really the summer. Shoot. Yeah. I just want to see something like something different from him. Yeah. You know? Like mm-hmm. I, I just don't want to see the same game. And even if Moutier is the worst point guard in the league next year, I still do that trade with McDermott because a guy like McDermott was going to be a free agent. So is he the type of guy that you want the Knicks to bring back on a terrible team? No. And also, if you're looking at it like this, which a lot of people look at it in this direction, which I totally understand, Moody is so bad that he's making the Knicks worse when he's on the court. So if he's going to play a lot next year, we want the Knicks to be bad again next year to get a good draft pick because Porzingis isn't going to be back till later in the year. He's a perfect fit. Yeah, it's like a glove. I've also thought of this. Um, <laughs> if that was a sneaky good move. It is the most cynical way to think about sports and it sucks that we have to think about it like that and it makes me sick but it is sometimes we have to think with our heads over our hearts and it's one of those scenarios where we need to say okay it's better if the Knicks lose these games and he's making them worse so we're probably better off that he's on the team well all right we why don't we just instead of focusing on what we have to come let's go back in the time let's go back to some better days some worse days and uh, let's wrap up the top 10 point guard rankings. How do you think? Let's do it.
we are going to finish uh, the bottom half, or I guess the top half, really, of the Knicks point guards from 2010 to present. Uh, Kyle Maggio is obviously out today, but I'm, you know, as I've been the entire podcast, joined by Matt Spendley here. And he's going to help me break down the top 10. And we still have a lot of players on the board. We have a lot of controversial names still on the board. We have a lot of forgotten names and favorited names. And so we're going to, uh, we're going to pound right through them. You ready, Matt? Yeah. Can we recap the list before we get to 10? We can, but let me just flip my pages real quick. Yeah. Let's, let's recap to maybe people didn't listen to the last one. Right. Okay. All the way down. So I won't go through all the stats, but I did all of these. No, just in, hit, uh, hit the names and the numbers, and we'll be good to go. Yep. So uh, number twenty, Mike Bibby. Number. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I heard Mike Bibby. God, it's so <laughs> funny. I think all that was like for in a lot of ways the beginning of a lot of irrational Nick's thought. That was so funny. Uh, number nineteen, I had Sir Jaron Grant. Uh, coming in right after him was Shane Larkin. Seventeen was Ron Baker. 16, controversially, was Frank Nielakina. Uh 15 was Torrey Murray. I'll say that name again. Torrey Murray. Oh, I remember Torrey Murray, of course. Oh, dude. Oh, dude. He was so, he was a blast from the past right there, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, 14, Baron Davis. Uh, big three-player Baron Davis. 13, Benno Udrick. Uh, 12 was Emmanuel Moutier. It was probably honestly too high on that list in hindsight. There are some pretty terrible players behind him, though. Yeah. No, I, I might move like <laughs> Udrick and I mean, Baron Davis was not good in his next stand. No, so. Baron Davis too high on this list. You think so? Yeah, he, because he, Bar- he was dishing. He was, you, no, you Baron remember, Davis but. sucked as a Nick because he started out the year injured and he came back and he was just a mess. And I know because <laughs> he ended up had injured, too, man. One of my buddies was the biggest Baron Davis fanboy, and I kept saying, Jeremy Lin is better than him, and it's obvious. And this was before Lin was even playing, and he's like, nope, 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 Baron Davis is better. I was like, dude, you're crazy. So Baron Davis, too high on this list. I'm still a BJD fanboy. Um, <laughs> I understand. Number 11 was Jose Calderon. And, uh, God, aren't you so good? Didn't those days feel like they were never going to end? The Calderon days? Yeah. Yeah, it was my first piece I ever wrote for the Knicks wall. Played uh, the 114 games. Yep, it was a lot. And it was a lot of uh, standing around, a lot of uh, matador defense, as our friend Clyde would say. I wanted to say something about Beno Udra, though, that I, you guys didn't say, and is hysterical. Because okay. the funniest thing about Beno Udra's tenure as a Nick, it was the 2013-14 season. And I don't remember any of that year. Yeah, so it was, it was freshman year of my college experience. So... This was when the year after the Knicks were really good. So I had like, you know, kind of high hopes that they would at least make the playoffs again. And I was happy when they signed Ben Udra because he'd been around forever. You know, Kings, Bucks, he'd been around and played on some teams and done some good things. Mike Woodson had so much hate in his heart for Ben Udra. And it was the funniest thing. There was a play where they played Washington and Ben Udra was playing on the ball. And... Bradley Beal drove on him and Udre assumed there was help and Beal scored the game winner. Woodson blamed everything on Udre when he clearly thought there was help and there clearly should have been help. And Woodson said, it's all his fault. Oh my God. That's that's all coming back to me. This was not the last moment. There was a game and it was on my freaking birthday. The Knicks played Houston in Houston, I believe. 
and Benno Udre had the ball and he's bringing it up and the Knicks did not need to take a shot, but he passed it to J.R. Smith and J.R. took a shot when they could have just kept the ball and got fouled. And then the Knicks ended up losing this game. And in the postgame press conference, rather than blame Jr., Mike Woodson said, oh, yeah, Benno should never have passed him the ball. That was a terrible decision. I think that's that <coughs> is uh, Mike Woodson's and like that's Mike Woodson's greatest fallacy. And J.R. Smith's greatest leash was be, it was them two being best friends. And I loved Jr. Like I enjoyed watching him play so much. And I still think he's a little underappreciated, but it, it was, it was so funny. The Beto Udre hate was, and then the Knicks uh, released him and he signed with, yeah. did you get, I think Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. No, he wanted out so bad. He was because so Woodson hated him. sick of Woodson. That's why, he, that's why he wanted oh, out. It I forgot like that's Knicks... why he wanted to go so bad. Yeah. It wasn't even just because he you. wasn't really being played. It was just because he was getting blamed for everything. They, they had a rift and I'm, it was real. It was real. <laughs> you dude fucking, do you remember the, uh, the boat party when Woodson shows up there with a flip phone and he's like taking pictures of everybody. Uh, it was like, that. it was like, uh, you got to remember what Twitter was like too during the Woodson era. Yeah. I had Twitter. I just, yeah. it was not nearly. I, I live tweeted every game. Now. I, yeah. I was, yeah, but it, it was, it was happier times. It was uh. peaceful times. Um, it's not like it is today. All right. Are you ready to, uh, get into the list now? Let's dive in. All right. Everything is uh, per 100 stats. Okay. And we're looking at Brandon Jennings at number 10. Oh, my God. Too high. Too high. All right. Well, again, Matt, look at everyone behind him. Do you Did you know how much I hated Brandon Jennings? I do remember you not being very <laughs> fond of him. He's playing in his first game back today. Oh, good for him. No, this is probably a fair spot for first him. Game honestly, back with, and you got to remember, too. All right. All right, so we'll put him 10th on the list. He had fi- played in 58 games. He started 11 of them, 105 yeah. off- offensive rating, 113 defensive, uh, 17.4 points per 100, 10.1 assists, uh, almost two steals. He shot 38% from the field and 34% from three. Um, so, you know, I, I always felt like he looked okay passing the ball out there. He was coming back from the Achilles tear, too. So that makes me think a lot of this was just him not being super ready. Again, I think that Brandon Jennings is probably a player who thinks he's better than he is in a lot of ways. Um, and that can get him into trouble. But, uh, you know, it wasn't an impressive stint. But overall, it, I don't think he flamed out as bad as he could have. Um, it ended quickly when he was waived and then signed with the Wizards. Um, but yeah, it just seemed like he was a guy that everyone was very hopeful for. Uh, he just didn't show very much out there. He showed a couple of flashes, but mostly just poor play. Um, he gelled well with all the players. He kind of was like a, uh, you know, a good fun player to have around when all the mellow Phil Jackson stuff started breaking down and Derek Rose, uh, you know, proved to be just Derek Rose. <laughs> and, uh, he was who we thought he was. Yeah, no, exactly. He was who we who uh, who we all thought he was. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Why didn't you like Brandon Jennings? He was just one of those guys that pissed me off because he always had this vendetta against the Knicks because they didn't draft him in the first round. Because the Knicks, this oh, was the Steph right, Curry right, right. and the Knicks. This had is kind of what I was saying too, where he kind of yeah. he gets that chip on the shoulder. Yeah, because the Knicks took Jordan Hill that year, and of course DeRozan was the next pick, and then Brandon Jennings was the tenth pick. So he always that was had also this... the Curry draft, right? That was oh nine. Yes, Curry went seven, and then it was Hill, DeRozan, and Brandon Jennings. And th- there's just always this weird vendetta he had against the Knicks, and I, he just—I can't put my finger on it. I 
thought he was overrated even when he came in because he was putting up decent stats, but he wasn't shooting the ball effectively at all. And I thought he was one of those guys that was built for, you know, like the, oh, let's just watch him do a couple cool behind the back passes where he fakes it and gets you with the Rondo fake. Mm. So I was just never a fan of his. I think as a Nick, he basically did all they could have expected out of him. They signed him to one year, $5 million contract. He was putting up, you know, nine points and five assists every game. Yeah. And he came in and started. I mean, he was a guy that I just did not think was ever quite a useful NBA player. And he had some moments when he got traded to Detroit, which was just one of the most confounding NBA teams of all time with him and yeah. Josh Smith and all those guys. Just God, a, damn, a hysterical, that, was, that was a crazy team, hysterical conglomerate of talent. But Brennan Jennings was just, he was never my guy, but as a Nick in terms of these point guards, if you look, I think the spot is about right. Let's look at number nine, who only played in 16 games as a Nick. Uh, managed to start nine 16 of them. 16 games. Yeah. I, you know what? Part of me wishes I did uh, 20 game minimums on these, but then I wouldn't really be able to evaluate some of the oh, players no, this is in different perfect. ways. But yeah. Um, there's so many short stints anyway. So 16 games, nine starts, 111 offensive rating, 109 defensive surprisingly like 29.4 points per uh per 100 7.1 assists uh shot 40 percent from the field 37 percent from three this is alexi shred i know i was gonna guess it god damn you i said it's alexi shred because i was thinking through the years and i was like what year would they have a guy only come here for 16 games and start nine and he was, it, I was like successor oh. right no, he was Alexi Shred was 2014-15. He was the oh, 17 win year. Okay. And I know this because they brought him in, and this was when I was really into DFS, Daily Fantasy. And he okay. was like the guy you played in Daily Fantasy yeah, when he was here that. with the Knicks because he was cheap. And it was like, oh, he's putting up, you know, like 14, 5, and 5 every night. Yeah, because I was talking to guys and they were like, um, yeah, after we put out the the first pod, and they were just like, didn't hear Alexi Shred on this list yet. My God, just like because I don't know if you remember, but he kind of killed it as a Nick. And it was kind of surprising, too, because he didn't play in the NBA after that. No, well, that's didn't he not prove how bad that team was and that they were just trotting guys out and saying, do whatever the hell you want. Didn't they? uh, I thought didn't they want to resign him? I dude, I can't even remember. That year was so disheartening. Yeah. And I, I don't remember exactly how his tenure with the Knicks ended, but. It was uh the, the biggest thing that people remember is that crazy shot he took. I think it was against Detroit where he comes across the lane and he thought he got fouled. So he chucked the ball, but he chucked it into like the 10th row of the stands. And I think some people out there will know exactly what I'm talking about. Like a hook shot, 10 rows into the stands. Like he was Kareem on Uber steroids. It's hysterical. I, and that's his defining moment as a Nick. Yeah. I don't remember too much of that. Cause I would just too much Jason Smith that year. Oh my god. He might he's probably my least favorite. He might be my least favorite Nick of all time. Wow, um, really? You hated him that much? I really just really, really did not like him. <laughs> Ugh. Didn't uh Alexi Shved get traded to like Houston for like a highly protected second at the very end? Maybe. I think uh, I think he was like gonna sign with uh like a Euro League team and so the Knicks just like traded his rights away. Yeah, it's possible. Um all right. Moving off of him, number eight, I have, uh, I didn't even 
I don't even know what this is. Derrick Rose played mm. in 64 games, started 64 of them, uh, ended with 108, 115 splits, uh, 27.7 points per 100, 6.8 assists. Shot his field goal percentage was pretty good from the floor because he was just oh, going was to the rim all the time. Yeah. Uh, so his, you know, I have his down at 47% per 100 and 21 from three. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, you know, you got to give him credit for what he did on the floor. There's no one who's happy. I mean, there's are people who's happy and we laugh at them every day. But, you know, there, there's not many who are happy with what he did as a Nick. There are not many who have much faith in Derrick Rose other than Derrick Rose and his uh, band of merry men. His Russian Twitter bots. Yeah, his Russian Twitter bots. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, we don't, we don't have to spend much time here at all. Uh, I'd rather wash my mind clear of all the Derrick Rose time. I just find it really funny that Bailey was finding Nick's Derrick Rose jerseys for sale for cheap in <laughs> Thailand, like right along with the misnumbered Kobe jerseys. Oh yeah. The, what was it like a number 12 Kobe jersey or something yeah, like that? I think it was 13. He saw. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's the thing about Derrick Rose. Wilt it depends if you're doing rankings like this, it depends on how, you, how you're defining it because in terms of usefulness, then sure. Rose should be up here in terms of like how beneficial he was to the team. He should be at the bottom. Yeah. And you know, he was putting up 18 points for assists, but he was they were just empty. He was stunting the growth of Porzingis. He was taking away opportunities from plenty of other guys. It feels kind of crazy that that was only a year ago. Like watching him play on the Knicks was only a year ago. And I've said it before. I was well, at the to, game. He's been on three different teams since then. I know I was at the game when he didn't show up and it was oh, one right, of the were. strangest experiences ever. Cause Anthony Davis also mutilated the Knicks that night, but go figure. It, yeah. Oh yeah. He just, Oh my God. He killed him from everywhere across the floor. So that was cool to see, but the Rose thing, we know he sucks. We know he sucked last year and these people that still say he's good are delusional. We all know this. This is not some sort of hidden gem here that we're unveiling to the world. We all know this. So let's just move on. Good. So everybody in seven through two, I had at a different ranking earlier today. Wow. 30 30 minutes before I left my office today, I was like, I don't feel right about where I have some of these guys. I was looking at the stats a little too closely. Maybe I was relying on some, some recency bias in in one particular situation. Uh, But so I went back and I kind of redid them and I just kind of used my memory and uh, you know, just from what I saw on the court a couple of years ago, and look at the stats too that I had right next to it. And I think I have them where I like them now. So, okay. Can I ask you a question before we get into it? Sure. Can does Raven Felton count once or twice? Uh, all of them count for their total of games. So Raymond Felton so does the, not have the, two separate. So we don't get no. first tenure Raymond Felton and second. No, we just this, get Raymond Felton. Yeah, no, this isn't like teen Gohan and adult Gohan here. This is like, you get, okay, you got have it. one player. Got it. Um, yeah, I just took took the average of his time here because, yeah, that made sense to me. Um, sure. Okay. So here we go. Number seven, who played in 21 games as a Nick and started 21 of them. He had some good numbers, 118 points, uh, 118 offensive rating. and 118 points? Woo. Yeah, per game. He was killing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 113 defensive, 27.8 points per 100, 8.8 assists. Uh, only shot 40% and had 32 from three. This is Chauncey Billups. Yep. Um, much 
I don't remember a ton of Chauncey Billups' uh, stint in New York. I, I honestly, I just, I remember that whole year just being so hyped on the, the stat and mellow train uh, that, you know, I was more excited for year two of Bill Ops, which was supposed to happen and then was cut short by the amnesty clause, uh, which is the dumbest move. That was the, key, one of the dumbest things the Knicks have done over the last, over the 21st century yeah. is that they re-signed Chauncey Billups 14 and 14 then, million then decided, oh no. Let's just amnesty him. It was the strangest thing. It all happened like within they, a couple they, of weeks. They, they just wanted Tyson Chandler instead, which yeah, made I, sense. They might, but... have, they might have picked up his option. It was something. I don't know if they like actually signed him to a contract, but they had an opportunity to get out of it, and they decided to keep him and then amnesty him when Tyson became available. Yeah. It was very strange. Yeah, that was really strange. But, um, you know, he had, a, he had a an exciting – it was exciting to see him, you know, with the Knicks. It was a good, you know, last half of the year run – that was when I think that was probably one of the most exciting times as Knicks fans in the last couple of years. Just when you had Melo arriving and you had Chauncey Billups coming with them and all this promise was arriving in New York. Yeah. Uh, and we got a lot of Chauncey Billups because that team was gutted in the Mellow trade because yeah. they traded away basically, you know, three fifths of their starting lineup and then a bench guy. Yep. So they were replacing the minutes of Chandler and Gallinari and Felton with the likes of Anthony Carter and Ronaldo Balkman. Yep, and uh, it wasn't great. No. It was the, it was a, a weird team to watch, but I mean, Charles then, basically did all they could have asked. He was putting up eighteen and six. He was shooting some threes. Like, I feel like I, I remember him having a big playoffs too after Amare got hurt. Yeah, let me look up the game log right now to yeah. see what he did in that postseason. I, 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 just, I, I feel like I remember him playing well enough to be deserving of that contract, and me being really excited about it. And then just. God, just to wave oh, it right. Oh, no. No, I remember what happened. He got hurt in the playoffs. Oh, That's he right. got hurt too? Yeah, he didn't play. At all? No, he, he got hurt. He only played the one game in the playoffs, and then they played there. Oh, my God. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. I, this is this is really a long time ago. Dude, it's old. And it, it was it's funny. It just feels like so long ago, too, because, I mean, I was a little on the younger side here. I was only, like, 15 or 16, so I was still, like, really committing myself to being all in on the Knicks. But, yeah, I just remember – no, this is, I only started watching like the year before too. Yeah, and I can remember now because Melo had that crazy big game too in Boston when he went off for forty, and it was basically just him and Amari that were left to do everything because they were they were shoving Tony Douglas playing him 30, 35 minutes a game. I thought Amari uh, like broke his back in like before game one. No, he played in all the games. He uh, only played seventeen minutes in. Game two, so yeah, he must I, have, I feel like he he in warmups one that he like hurt his back on a dunk. Yeah, no, you're right. I remember that, but he yeah. he definitely played in. That games was the two, beginning three, of the four. end. Yeah, uh, from what I remember at least. But anyway, Basically. but yeah, so Billups was not a not a Nick for very long. I'm. It's one of those interesting things where I would, I just wonder what could have been if he was around for longer. He his I mean, career he played, kind of flamed out after out. that. So yeah, he I, yeah I. One more year of Chauncey Billups running the show there, especially because 2011-12, like the point guard situation was just so poor because of that bad decision to wave him like that. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, you know, because then like, yeah, what really ended up killing us is that we really needed that amnesty clause for Amari Stoudemire. Yep. And it, they just didn't have it. Yep. I think Chauncey at that point was more a name than a player. But and not. I don't think he was at that point. I think he still had a year in him before he got there. Well, he went to the Clippers the next year, and he was he had still he, you know, he had like confident. half a good year, right? 
Yeah, I mean, he put up 15 points, and he was never— I think it's one thing that gets overlooked a bit when we think about Chauncey Billups. He was never a very good shooter from the floor. He was always like, I think for his career, he's 41% or maybe a hair under. He was never very efficient. So he still had a little bit left in the tank, but it wasn't much. guy who I had much higher for uh, based on recency, but Trey Burke has also played in 21 games. So Trey Burke has played the exact same amount of games at this point that Chauncey Billups has played in New York. Uh, It's kind of wild to think about, Mm -hmm. but uh, Trey Burke has very and very similar numbers too. It's kind of crazy. Um, He has a 116 offensive rating. I just went back and corrected all these today to knock him down a little bit. Uh, 114 defensive rating, 29.8 points per 100, uh, 11.1 assists. He is shooting exactly 500 from the field and 35% from three. He is regressing back to the norm, uh, but that doesn't undo what he's done so far. So I put him up pretty high on the list. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to have him for next year. Again, he signed to that same kind of contract that, uh, that Troy Williams is now signed to where he's non-guaranteed for next year or partially guaranteed. So, you know, the Knicks have him for cheap in a, in a lost year. Who knows? You know, he could end up finding a little bit of a stride. You know, it's, it's just another one of those low risk kind of potentially high reward moves. He's played really well in New York so far, ever since his braids have come out, he's been regressing, but uh, yeah, he's got to bring him back. He's got to bring him back. I don't know what he's doing. What have you specifically liked from Trey Burke? Well, I mean, I've been a pretty noted Trey Burke pessimist this whole time. He's been better defensively than I thought, but we've seen the real Trey Burke come out over the last few games, and that's more of what we should expect, not the guy that's going off for 20 points. Like, what, do you I think think, what do you think is responsible for that? That he's not that good. It's just, but what, it, it, there's what, nothing like, more why? to it. Why does, like, why does he have these numbers right now? Why did he ball out for like five games? Like I know because that, that happens in yeah. the NBA, you know, guys can just have good games. We've seen him. He's, he's been able to put up numbers over short stretches, but I don't think he's the type of player that can sustain. There's a reason why the Knicks signed him on the last day of before the season started and that he was in the G league all mm-hmm. year. Like I, he could be a guy that could come off, score off the bench and, you know, put up some stats, but I, he's just not the type of guy that you want to be relying on. And like, I think he's too high on this list, too. Like, I think you have to put Chauncey Billups ahead of him. I think even... I mean, I just got to go off of what he's done so far as a Nick, and he's definitely had more, like, superb games than he... Like, I can't go based on just what I... I can't go on what he's done on other teams and what he might do in the future, because it's just, you know... I didn't do yeah, that I mean, for any of the other players. I have to consider been, it just for... You know, he's not even averaging 10 points as a Nick, whereas Chauncey was starting every game. And if I think if they were going to play the same amount of games, and that's how we're putting it, Chauncey was better as a Nick. So I'd put Chauncey above. And then you can get into... The, the whole Derrick Rose thing just throws a whole wrench in this because it depends, again, how we're defining this. Because, sure, the numbers, he was one of the better ones here. But if we're just saying the best, then he is a very controversial choice as to where to put him. So... Mm-hmm. I'd put Trey Burke back a little bit. I have to look at the list and rejigger, but you know, yeah. he's been better than I expected. So I will give him that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, I could see him, uh, down a little bit further. I just look at his, you know, his stats expanded a little bit and 
you know, based off of what I've seen so far with him. And, you know, I know that he's, this isn't the norm. I know he's going to end up finishing further back, but I've just been encouraged with, you know, the bursts that I've seen from him. So. Yeah. And those numbers look better because he hasn't seen many minutes. Exactly. So they look, they look nice in. He's he's only playing 16.4 minutes, but yeah, uh, he could see far less. Um, but, you know, again, it comes down to this thing with this list, too. Like, you take a look at the players that we're working with here. And, you know, there's the argument for Chauncey. There's the argument for Derrick Rose, sure. I don't think there's any... You can put him any lower than that. I don't think he's been worse than Alexi Shred. Uh, no. I don't think he's been worse than Brandon Jennings. Um, mm-hmm. So, you do it, you know... This is an exercise in futility, man. It, it really is. is. No, it is. <laughs> Why it, did you do this? Whose idea was this? <laughs> it was uh, a conversation that happened in the uh, breakaway Discord chat. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, and you know, turned into two part content. So this is hysterical. Here we are. This is all right. Let's. This is uh, March content after Porzingis has torn his ACL. Stick with us, folks. That's what we're here for, man. Uh, it's getting good though, because number five is a guy who was around for a long time. Okay. Played 175 games. Started 30 of them. You got a 106, 110 uh, offensive defensive split there with 21.5. Another guy who didn't get a ton of minutes, but you can see his numbers expanded a little bit here. Uh, 5.9 assists per 100, 40 point or yeah, 41% from the field, 35 from three. This is longtime Nick Tony Douglas. Uh, played with the team from 2009 to 2012. I know I was going from 2010, but I I kept his that first season in there for him too, mm-hmm. uh, the 2009 2010 year, um, just to get his number total up. But yeah, long time Nick, very solid reserve for him. I gave him more. You know, I know he's probably other guys who were lower on this list had better stints at certain points than he did. Might have reached a, a like a higher one time ceiling with the Knicks, but just based off of him being able to contribute to like a winning team based off of being able to, you know, stick around for a couple of years and really play a competent backup point guard, occasional starter role. Um, and he had some shining moments too. I was at that game when he, you know, scored nine threes on St. Patrick's day and took the record for like a, a brief shining moment. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I do you have any, uh, any big memories from the TD years. So Tony Douglas led the league in three pointers after the all-star break. In either it was, I think it was 2010, 2011. So we went into that's a year he 20, took the next record too. So yeah, yeah. So we went into 2011, 2012, thinking that he was going to be something, and then he shot 32 percent from the floor and did nothing the entire year. So again, like I, I think Chauncey, it, it depends on how you're looking at this. But like I think Chauncey was better than Tony Douglas, and the fact that there's 15 point guards worse than Tony Douglas, and we're at number is this number five? Yeah, this is number five. <laughs> I, I, I oh, man, this is a tough life we live, man. I got to tell you. Th- I mean, this is kind of the reason for doing this is just to show like, like, <laughs> God damn, man, like Lexi Shred has been the ninth best point guard the Knicks have had in the last eight years. Like, holy shit. We, we right. have a lot of hope for Frank Nielakina right now. Like this, is, you got to know the pressure's on. Dude, I, Tony Douglas hitting those threes was like the number one thing that Knicks fans relied on going into that season because we knew we had. Amari and Mello. And it was like, Tony Douglas is good. You know, he averaged almost 11 points last year and he's a really good three point shooter. Like he can do this. And then he went out there and just completely did nothing during that season and then moved on 
after that. I will say I always liked him, and I thought he was when he had his moments. You know, as a three point shooter, he was useful because that's the type of guy that you need around, especially when you were playing around those all stars. So I liked seeing him go elsewhere, and you know, he's popped up here and there. I think the last time he played in the league was, uh, you know, twenty sixteen seventeen. He played with Memphis, and then you know he had some. Had a cup of coffee with the Pelicans, the Kings, the Rockets. I enjoyed him, and I commended him for continuing his career after the abysmal, abysmal yeah. last season in New York that he had. Yeah, no, he really. I mean, like he got traded to Houston in yeah. What was that the Camby deal? Um, uh, yeah, that's. Not, I think it was that. Yeah, when they brought back Marcus Camby, um, which was hysterical in its own yeah. right. Yeah, that was that year. <laughs> something else, man. It worked. It worked. Um, all right. I'm, I'm good on Tony Douglas. Uh, we can keep moving on along here. Um, I'm doing like some recalculations in my head right now too. And I'm going to put him here. Uh, I'm shuffling here. I'm, I'm doing okay. this all on the fly, yep. but, uh, playing in 76 games and starting 48 of them, uh, with a 114 offensive rating and 103 defensive rating, 12 points per hundred possessions and 6.5 assists plus 8.5 rebounds um, shot only 37% from the field, 35 from three. This is Jason kid. Yep. One year I think with this the feels Knicks. about right though. Cause with Jason kid, he, his impact was so far beyond the numbers for that team. Exactly. So, that was, that yeah. was really hard with them. Like I had him everywhere yeah. from, I think like two to five on this list. Yeah. And let's not forget that he lost the ability to shoot a basketball at the end insane. of his next tenure, that was, which was, led, I don't, I still don't understand that. That literally was, he forgot. It was incredible. He, like, and, Fultz did. he was the original Markel <laughs> Fultz man. Hey, hey, I'm on the Markel Fultz bandwagon. I don't want to hear that slander out He's here. All right, be fine. So in the playoffs for the last nine games of the playoffs, Jason Kidd did not make a shot, and he was playing 20 minutes a game until the last two games, and he was only playing five minutes, but. He completely lost the ability to shoot a basketball in every way and even layups. Like I remember he had a layup in transition against Indiana and he came up and he just completely blew the layup and he was wide open. It was hysterical. But before that, he was a guy that was really essential to their operation as a ball mover, as a veteran leader. And he was also showing that he was a better three point shooter than we expected, especially early mm-hmm. on. Like he, yep. he was really able to stretch the floor and that kind of fell off later on. And he also had the iconic moment where he cut himself and he wore the headband sideways. Yeah. I forgot. About it. It absolutely looks like, uh, iconic. It was like Elmer Fudd and space. Yeah. Man. <laughs> um, I really like the, uh, the moment with him where, uh, I mean, there's the, the one that sticks out to me the most is when he went up for that three and, uh, kicked his leg out so oh, he could yeah. get fouled on it. Yeah, um, against the like, Nets, and yeah. it was Jerry Stackhouse. It was the two oh, yeah, old veterans. Stack, yep. Oh yeah. Uh, he was. Such, I mean, I think Jason Kidd is just kind of a sleazy guy in general. Um, yeah, it's probably true. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you've seen how it's played out with him as a coach, and you know, there's been some personal incidents too. But you know, he could bring that to the court, and that's why I'm kind of like surprised he didn't become a bit of a dirtier player when uh, he did lose his ability to shoot and got space jammed. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought for a lot of the year, he he did really well just going into the playoffs. Like I, I don't really know if the Knicks could have done too much more if he did play well, but it would have helped not to 
keep going to him so many times when he just it couldn't it do it. Helped it if he if he didn't lose the ability to shoot a basketball. It would have been helpful. It and I remember nice. being very frustrating, but it was almost more sad because you could just see his career disintegrating before your eyes. Yeah, and you could see coming, that deal like, with the Nets getting made right before your eyes too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If you'll remember though, when the Knicks signed Jason Kidd, and this was like right when I was getting into Twitter and using it as an outlet, he had signed, agreed to sign with the Mavericks, and then he backed out and signed with the Knicks. And he signed a three-year deal with the Knicks. And it only lasted the one year, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he basically just spurned the Mavericks to come to New York. And I remember I the guys at the Mavericks some, not being happy about that. Yeah, I, I I have a feeling there was some kind of coaching agreement in place if he stuck with it. You know, like, Maybe. Like, I, I, was, I, th- I think he would have probably had a uh, transition to an assistant coach role. Uh, like as a handshake deal, but then the Brooklyn opportunity opened up and there he was. Possible. It's possible. Um, yeah, this feels about right for Jason Kidd because I, I know the three guys ahead, so I think this feels yeah, about yeah. right. Again, I'm kind of swapping around on the fly right now too, but I, I feel I feel better about this order I have now than even the order I had that I said I felt good about at the beginning of the show. I have an order <laughs> in my head, so if it's not that order, I'm going to disagree with you. Okay, cool. And then I'll probably just back down because I'll go back to my original order. But <laughs> uh, number three, this guy played a long time for us too. This guy uh, is actually tied for first with the most games played on uh, as a Nick in the last eight years. Uh, 187 games, 48 starts, uh, 117 offensive rating, 108 defensive, 11.6 points per 100, nine assists, three steals, 45% from the field, 41% from three. This is Pablo Prigioni. Yep. Um, I had him at two for a while. I, uh, had the guy that I have right ahead of him below him, obviously. And, uh, I just... You know, I, I was really the one thing I was really surprised about the most when I was looking back into Pablo is how long he actually did play for the Knicks. Like, because it he stuck around a while. I mean, it was only three years or, you know, for maybe, the Knicks, that's a while. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> that's exactly it. Like, he's tied for first in like the last, you know, eight years for how many, you know, games played with the team. So I just, I think Pablo was a guy who, you know, obviously he came over when he was old. Isn't it crazy that like this, you know, however old he was at the time, like EuroLeague, you know, former EuroLeague MVP, like guy that no one even knew about coming into the season is third on our list right now. ahead of Jason Kidd. I think it says Chauncey a lot. I, I, I still think you put Derek Chauncey Rose. too low. I think Chauncey should be in this range. And I think I'd probably put Chauncey number three. And then I'd, above, put, I'd kick Kidd. all these guys back. And I think I'd also put Jason Kidd ahead of Pablo because I think Pablo is the kind of guy that, that, we, um, that we think about fondly. But see, I ended up giving... I. I I agree with you. Yes, there is a lot of uh, a lot of rose tinting that goes on with Pablo, but I do think that he was a very solid player. I think he was a guy who knew his his role really well. He was a guy that could always get you a three when you needed it. And but he, he never led, shot. That was a problem because yeah, we all he knew that shot. he could shoot, and he was always so tentative. Right, and that was the problem. That was his mo. That that was you know that was the biggest problem with him. But he still you know he stuck around for so long, and that's kind of one of the things that I'm like I'm looking at too, and I'm looking at these guys is like. You know, the guys who stuck around for a while and the guys who played for his teams that were actually going somewhere and actually, you know, were winning some games that to me gave them a pretty big bump. 
Um, that's fair. I, I, if that's I, the way I, you're looking I, at it for sure. I'm just looking at like I got to look at games played here, and that I mean, as for a team that's been so starved in the last you know eight, ten years, whatever. I gotta, I gotta give some a little bit more credence to that than I really, uh, I guess, care to do. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Pablo was solid. His numbers look really good. He knew his role. Everyone on the team loved him. Uh, he played well in Houston and then cl- the Clippers, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah. And uh, is he? There was a rumor that he was going to come be a Knicks assistant coach that flamed out really quickly. Yeah, I, I heard like about that, that and then it just post. kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah, I think it might have just been a, a New York Post plug. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I love Pablo Prigioni. We all do. We all. I think do. he's probably our favorite point guard on this list. Um, yeah, it, it depends. It depends because one of the guys above. I, I definitely liked more, but I let's not forget with Pablo too. came to New York and I can remember watching him because he played uh, for Argentina mm-hmm. in the Olympics. And this was the year before it was 2012 Olympics. And this was the year before he was coming to New York. And I remember watching and there had been a lot of talk about him because he was this, you know, old veteran that had played with Ginobili and uh, Luis Scola. Mm-hmm. So he had been around and I, I think he sat a couple games with kidney stones and I was crushed because I really was looking forward to watching him play, but it was kind of exciting to have an international prospect and be able to watch him and see. And then when he came to New York, he had so many cool moments. Like I, I think when I think of Pablo, I'll think of him, you know, stealing the inbounds passes, being pesky there, you know, the cameras panning over to the other side of the court. And all of a sudden he has the ball in the backcourt. Like it happened all the time. I'll think of him. Yep nailing threes, but me sitting there like, dude, shoot more. And I'll think of him throwing that alley-oop to Jr. where Jr. grabbed it like almost below his knees oh and brought God, it all yeah. the way back up. Oh also, God, yes. That was also on my birthday. Great, man. Jr.'s done some crazy things, both good and bad on my birthday. And that one was pretty sweet. Yeah. I, you know what? I think a lot of it, I'm just thinking of this now. I might be hypothesizing a little bit here, but, um, Remember how badly Knicks fans were clamoring for Ricky Rubio at this time? Mm-hmm. I feel like this to a lot of fans, this might have just been their little taste of Ricky Rubio. Yeah, they're your little international point guard. That was a pretty good passer. You know, yeah, that's you're right. You're definitely right. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's uh let's finish kicking this thing into high gear here. Uh, moving two. on to number two. Uh, probably the most incredible run in uh in recent Knicks history that lasted 35 games. It lasted less than that. Honestly, he got 25 starts. He played, he had 104, 101 offensive defensive splits, 21, 28.1 points per hundred, 11.8 assists, 3.0 steals, 45% from the floor, 32% from three. Jeremy Lynn, Lynn sanity, insanity. Uh, what a time. What a time. I mean, it just came out of nowhere. It was one of those moments where everyone got so excited it was a mirage. It ended well before it should have. He got hurt. He got moved down to Dallas. I mean, uh, Houston. Houston, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, it's it was so long ago. It, it's hard to pick out, you know, which memories were my favorite. I think probably the Toronto three-point game winner. On Valentine's Day. Yeah, yep. that, that was just, I mean, and then the, uh, what, like the 36 against Kobe. Uh, there's just, I mean, there was just, that stretch. That was my senior year of high school. Um, and yeah, good Lord, man. I just, I just remember watching those games in my basement, like 
just being so excited on the Knicks for like the <laughs> first time in my life. This is like the first time I actually like this team. Mm-hmm. And I, oh man, I, I'm just, I'm getting all woozy thinking about it. I think when, when Jeremy Lin hit, hit the game winner against Toronto, I think I picked my brother up and just like carried her around the house mm-hmm. because it was so exciting. But I still don't think we'll ever see anything like that. I think it's a top, you know, when I look back, I think it'll be like a top 10 just sports experience that I went through as a sports fan. It was just, it was the craziest thing you'll ever see that this guy comes out of nowhere and performs at the level that he did. A guy that had not played in the NBA before essentially is all of a sudden scoring 22 points a game and leading a team into the playoffs. And I think when we think of insanity, we think of the game winner against Toronto. We think of his first game against the Nets when I'm pretty sure Melo got injured in this game. And then this is when Melo went down because I think Amari played some of that game. It's Amari and Melo both ended up going down at some point in this. We'll remember the dunk against Washington. Didn't the game against was that Amari? Amari's brother died in that time, right? Like that's, that's that was what, yeah that was, that was at the yeah. going into the playoffs because this was the playoffs where Amari shattered his yeah, hand yeah, when yeah. he punched the fire extinguisher. Yeah. I remember because that's when he got the tear tattoo for his it, brother. This was the beginning of the end for Amari. Yes, yes, but I mean maybe above all in insanity was that game against the Lakers where he had thirty eight points yeah. and. He had, you know, a bunch of corner threes. He had the spin move on Derek Fisher. I mean, oh, just, man. just the look Incredible. on, just the look on like Kobe's face while all that was happening. <laughs> Riceless, man. And it, it was just, it was, I still don't think we'll see anything like that ever again. I, I am convinced it would have to be something absolutely insane to have this guy that just came out of nowhere. And it was so many cool moments, like even stupid moments. Like I can remember they beat the, the Mavericks on one game. And I think it was a Sunday game. And it was the first game that J.R. Smith played with the Knicks. And J.R. and Novak had a bunch of threes. Jeremy Lin had 28 points and 14 assists because he was just dishing to all the three-point shooters. And everything about it was fun from start to finish. The end was unfortunate because I can remember when they played that game in Miami at the end of February and he had eight turnovers. People were kind of starting to fall off the bandwagon and there became a lot of noise about you know, he's small and he can't defend. He he averaged a ton of turnovers, by the way. We kind of yes, overlooked he did, it because yeah. he was doing so much. I think he was turning the ball over like five and a half, six times a game, which is ludicrous. But we were overlooking all of it because it was so much fun. And I think that's what being a sports fan is about, right? It's those moments where it's something, it's an outlet for us to experience something that we could never experience in our own lives. To watch some guy that came out of nowhere that went to Harvard that didn't get a chance. Exactly. And I think when something like that happens, we see a part of ourselves in the athlete and we say, this is just a classic story of someone doing something incredible that they weren't meant to do. And that's what I want to do in my own life. You know, it's one of those kind of visceral experiences. It's pretty cool. Waxing poetic over here. I like it. That's how I do, man. I took philosophy in college. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so did all of us, bud. Hate to bring uh, you too. know what? I took philosophy of nature in addition Ooh. to philosophy of the human being. Uh, the worst class I've ever taken. Yeah. I ever took in college, but by far was philosophy of nature. Yeah. 
So that's like, kiddos that haven't taken it yet. You know, you know what my my last Never. class of college was? I had what? I had three. Uh, I had to go back for a half a semester, uh, like a part time half semester after my senior year, and I had to take three classes. And on Saturday mornings at nine a.m., I went in and I took the history of the future, which was just like basically world's fair shit and like yeah i took it because the name sounded like ridiculous like you're going to a class called the history of the future <laughs> um, and i was like hell yeah this is what i'm going out on but uh it was actually kind of cool it was just all about like people predicting the future like past civilizations predicting that but anyway we're not did here you to guys talk did you guys read uh like books did you read have you heard of brave new world did you read that yeah yeah like we read uh brave new world a little bit we like read chapters out of that yesterday's tomorrow was a book uh okay there, there was some some decent reading in that class too, but yeah, uh, that's art, that's art school for you. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say yeah, we went to a different schools, so yeah. <laughs> might be a little different experience. But <laughs> all right, are we ready to end this? Big time number out. one. Yep, big time number one. Playing in 187 games, but starting 187 of them too, uh, with 106 offensive rating and 110 defensive rating, 20.4 points per 100 possessions, 10 assists. Two steal or two, uh, yes, two steals. My uh, chicken scratches failing me. Forty two percent from the field, thirty three percent from three. Uh, based off of a lot of things, Raymond Felton is our best player, our best next point guard of the last eight years. Oof. I it mean, it says a lot. It says a lot. I enjoyed a lot of Felton's time here. I really, really, really didn't enjoy a lot of Felton's time here. Um, but I mean, he stuck around for the longest. He, you know, he had half a really, really good year and then some really not great years either. But I mean, he, he was, I felt like constantly about to be replaced. Um, he was replaced a couple of times and then just always made his way back. So shouts to him for sticking around, I guess. And his first tenure as a Nick was awesome. Cause that was, oh, was the great. fun year, you know, where you had, Chandler and Gallinari and Turioff and Landry Fields and Amari. And they were playing off each other so well. Felton was putting up nine assists game. He was a borderline all-star that year. Mm-hmm. Like there was plenty of talk about him being an all-star. And then they trade him in the mellow deal. And when he came back, he was still a very useful part of that 2012, 13 team. He was good that year. Yes, he was. Like he was a Without legitimately a doubt, yeah. important cog for what they did. And, the more time that went on when it was the next year, he was just a mess. You know, he, he couldn't, he lost the ability to shoot from three. He was just a complete shell of himself. And of course they ended up playing that year out. And then they ended up trading him to Dallas with Tyson for, you know, the Jose Calderon, Samuel Dellenbear package. Mm -hmm. But I want to relate this back to Jeremy Lin for a second, because these two are intertwined. When that off season, happened. So 2011, 2012, Raymond Felton goes to Portland, right? Don't bring up his name in Portland. They will murder you. I know they hate Raymond Felton because he got out of shape and he was just absolutely terrible. So after 2011, 2012 ends, you know, we have the whole Mello and Jeremy Lin thing was always strange because you felt like Mello didn't like having him around, didn't like sharing the spotlight. So there was that whole dynamic, which was a whole thing and almost certainly played into how this situation ended up bearing out 100%. Yes. So it was the Rockets offered Jeremy Lin that poison pill contract. Mm-hmm. 
and the Knicks would have had to pay a ridiculous amount in luxury tax to keep him around. So they decided to go out and get Felton. And I can remember at the time, I was still on the bandwagon that Raymond Felton is pretty good. Yep, I was and, all about that move. And it ended up being the best move in hindsight. And we could talk about, I, I think there's something to be said for how Jeremy Lin is still a relevant NBA player. It is sucks that he got injured this year because he was good for Brooklyn last year and he was on track to have a good year this year. And I still think he can come back next year and be useful for at least three more years. He's, I think he's, he found his role. Yes. He's a perfectly adequate NBA player that can play on a team and they can give serious minutes to and feel fine about it. You can't say that about Raymond Felton anymore. So that says something about it, but for the Knicks, is that true? I thought Felton, like, I, I mean, I haven't really kept up with the, on him too much this year, but last year I feel like he actually had a bit of a role with OKC. No, he has a role with OKC. He was on the Clippers last year. Oh, but, right, right, right. He was with the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, but you're not going to want to give him serious minutes. He's shooting 41% from the floor. He can still do plenty of things on the floor for them, and he's been healthy and in better shape. But my point being that Jeremy Lin was, has been starting games for the Nets, an admittedly bad team but has been better and been a more useful NBA player at this stage in their careers. Felton is going to stick around as a bench guy for a few years, just because he can still do things and he has the name and he can still run an offense and play off ball in a second unit. So he can still do plenty of things, but Mm -hmm. back to that 2012, 13 team, because that year Felton was still really good. And it's a, we can often forget that we can forget that two thirds of his tenure as a Nick went quite well because the one third that last season went so poorly where it became a running joke that he was out of shape. You know, I, I, there was a He's bunch of Felton, jokes. So yeah, a bunch of jokes about him being fat and they were warranted. I'm sh- they were definitely warranted and he was terrible, but it's, it's important to, for us to remember that he did have good moments and that the Knicks did end up, whether it was by luck or not making the right decision when it came to that. So I 100% agree with the top three that you had left, although I would move Pablo back and move a guy like Chauncey up. Okay. The three that you had left, I 100% agree with. These are the right rankings based on how you decided to go about this. Okay. Well, that's all the validity that I need. Exactly. Um, And uh, you know what we hope? We hope that we can look at this in five years and say, oh, (laughs) why did we not have Frank Nielkina number one? That's what we hope. Yeah, and you know what? I think that... I'm hoping that in five years we do another one of these and Frank Nielkina is undoubtedly the number one. That's what you hope. And you know what? It's not going to take him that much. No, no. And I think the way that you built the system, it makes sense that he was that far back. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, because you're looking at right, some of the numbers poor, and his numbers haven't not, been. Yeah, he's not his having numbers a great have year. been not good. A lot of the base numbers have not been good. We've seen a lot of his more encouraging numbers come in underlying stats. Like there was a stat today about his pick and roll defense. Yeah, I and saw that. That was really encouraging. I'm more in the league in points per possession as a ball handler on defense. So those are the kind of things that we look at and we project forward and say, oh, you know, we can see this, but a lot of his raw stats and his, you know, on off splits, things like that have not been great. So it makes sense if you're going to base the rankings off of that. But, you know, We'll look back at this even next year, and you'll say, you know, he should be above the the Bennett Udras and the Torrey Murrays, but that's that's where we are right now. That's for next year. We'll do that next year. We can do a we can do a projection, uh, you know, podcast in the future. We can do one that looks at all the possibilities that you know 
all the players that Frank Nielakina could become and where they might rank amongst these guys. But it could know, be an interesting exercise. Could be an interesting exercise. Probably not a two part podcast. But thanks to uh, <laughs> thanks for sticking with me for this one, Matt. Of course, man. It, uh, an opportunity to talk about Torre Murray, yeah, and Mike Bibby. And Chauncey Billups and Jason Kidd in the same hour. I mean, I, how could I turn that down? What else also, would I be doing? I find it really funny that like the three of the top four point guards on this list all played on the same team. Yeah, because um, it was Kidd, Prigioni, and Felton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it's almost like that team was the best the Knicks yeah. have had in the 2010s. It's, it's almost it's like, almost that like team that's was the a, case. an outlier. <laughs> almost. Oh I, I don't know if we want to say it all the way, but almost. Well, thanks to all of the <laughs> listeners for sticking with us through this uh, through this exercise too. You guys are the bomb, and it means a lot. Um, before we get you out of here, don't forget Matt Spendley will be taking over this day next week, and all weeks moving forward with his new yet unnamed podcast, uh, which will have a name by the time it comes on. We promise, or we yes. don't. We'll see. Um, all right. Uh, what else do we got to plug? Matt, what's coming out this week? So we have a piece from our guy Ty Jordan that wrote today about what we're going to do moving forward and how we should view Emmanuel Moutier, Trey Burke, and Damian Dotson and what we should expect the Knicks to look to evaluate for these guys and if they're going to be on the roster. Um, we have some other pieces coming out. We have Mike's draft board tomorrow, which is big during this time of year. And with the tournament starting on Thursday, you're going to want to check that out before you start watching any games. Know who you're going to have an eye on. Um, we have some other content coming out that is, you know, in the vein of things we've been talking about, some of the tank. We have a piece coming out uh, next, early next week that's going to focus on how the Knicks can lose a bunch of games and how they compare to the rest. Uh, we have a piece on Ennis cancer coming out tomorrow from Harrison. We have a piece tomorrow from Harley on Troy Williams. I have a surprise piece on Friday that I'm writing that I want to keep under wraps until Ooh. it launches it. I I'm hoping that data bears out what I want it to, or else I might have to scrap it, but I'm hoping I'm crossing my fingers that it tells me what I want it to. So hey man, you need everyone else out there. Yes, we have a big week because this week is also going to be I'll definitely be doing college stuff for my own account at Mets Bendley. So you'll see a lot of stuff coming out from there. Well, a bunch of college stuff is coming out because I know that's what I've been turning my attention to. I still keep, you know, I basically keep one eye on the Knicks and one eye on the draft. That's kind of where I've been. And this is the time to start looking at prospects. And this is the most exciting period because this is when we see them on the biggest stages against the best teams. And this is when we're going to get a glimpse into what we can potentially expect these guys to become as they become professionals and reach the NBA. And there's a good bunch of exciting prospects that the Knicks could end up landing. And there's a lot to dissect with each of them and a lot to go through. So I'm excited. And I know all of us are going to do plenty moving up. Knicks wall is going to have a ton of coverage for this. So keep an eye out. We got plenty coming. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm stoked. And, uh, yeah, while we're on the college topic, don't forget about the Off the Wall podcast. Uh, this week, they're doing, they'll have an episode coming out early, early, early Thursday morning um, with their full-on uh, bracket guide and guide to the tournament coming up. So uh, keep an eye out for that. If you have any pressing questions about how you're going to build your bracket, just hold off until the last minute. Hold off until Thursday. 
and our boys Jared Mint and Joseph Nardone will have that covered for you. Um, Matt, as always, man, it's been great. A pleasure. And I will talk to you real, real soon. Sounds good. Good night. Talk to you later, man. Thank you.